loneliness is being called a public health crisis, but chances are it's not caused by what you think it is. You probably don't realize how simple it is to cure. I'll show you. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I'm Kyle Winkler, here to shut down the enemy's lies in your life. I do it live on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org slash live. And just a reminder that we are here live on the podcast, thanks to the generosity of our donors. If you're a partner with us, thank you. You know, I receive stories all the time of what you are helping to do. Gary wrote to me recently on Facebook, and he said, Thank you. Your teaching has been a lifeline for me. You were who God used to answer my prayers for help. I never had any confidence in myself, and I didn't know how to get it from the Lord. He led me to you. Thank you. Mm. Thank you, Gary, for sharing this with me and for all who share their stories with me, whether you share it on social media or you can share it through my website as well at kylewinkler.org. I'd love to hear from you of how this ministry has helped you. But of course, the thanks doesn't go just to me. It goes to our partners who are responsible for helping to reach people like Gary and so many others. If you'd like to become a partner, this ministry is entirely donor-supported. We need you. We'd love to have you. Just go to kylewinkler.org donate to get started, and your gifts are always tax-deductible by the way. Okay. When you think of a Surgeon General's warning, you probably think of a pack of cigarettes or something. Not loneliness, right? Yet in 2021, the United States Surgeon General, whoever they are, did just that. They issued this warning our epidemic of loneliness and isolation has been underappreciated. It's a public health crisis that has harmed individual and societal health. Those are some strong words there. Epidemic, public health crisis. The reason is because loneliness can lead to some dark places. And sadly, as of the recording of this message, which is toward the end of 2023, 30% of U.S. adults say they are lonely. It's way too high of a number with the potential for too many destructive, devastating effects. Hence the Surgeon General's warning. Now, I can attest to the epidemic I talk to people and pray for people, whether it's in person or over the phone or email, I would say, I don't know, 80, 90% of them say they are lonely. I have a friend who works for a technology company that runs internet campaigns for ministries. They put a lot of money into researching the kinds of topics that ministries should help people with these days, keeping them relevant. They found that the number one searched issue on Google is loneliness. Ironically, I guess we all can find some sort of company in this shared emotion of loneliness. 
But there's far more hope than just finding company in your misery. I'm here to show you that loneliness, as in the state of loneliness, not like, you know, I'm alone on a Friday night and I'm sad about it, but the long-term state of loneliness, it can be significantly reduced, if not cured, with the help of the gospel. To understand how you must first understand what loneliness really is, because it's probably not what you think it is, or maybe it's not caused by what you think it is caused by. If I ask you to define loneliness, what would you say? Isolation, no friends, no company. Maybe sure, yeah, lack of people is lonely. But it's not just that. Otherwise, why do leaders and celebrities often feel lonely? You've probably heard the phrase, it's lonely at the top. These people are surrounded by people. They have managers and employees and usually have no shortage of people that would love to be their friend, yet they say that they are lonely. If you look in the Psalms, you'll see King David talk about being lonely. He was king and surrounded by people who loved him and fought for him. And here we are today in the most connected time in history. The average person has 338 friends, quote unquote, on Facebook. Almost all of us have a phone in our pockets to text or call one of those friends. We can hop in a car or a plane, get to places with people in no time. And at least here in America, there's a Christian church within an hour's drive of everyone, and that's being very conservative. In the Bible Belt, there's one on almost every corner. And if you can't go in person, you can find people congregating online. So really, when it comes to loneliness and the absence of people, isn't the whole issue. Loneliness is ultimately rooted in an absence of understanding. You feel lonely when you feel misunderstood or maybe distrusted or doubted. That's why you can feel alone in a crowd of people. And in fact, I'd say for this reason, crowds of people can make you feel very alone, more alone than other situations. Let me tell you a story of my life. Since potty training, I've always felt like an outsider, always more of an old soul. Didn't like the same things many of my peers did. Always felt misunderstood. And really, until more recently, because of what I'm sharing with you here, that didn't change even when I got serious about my faith. I can tell you, I have sat in plenty of churches, and I've been a member of a few of them even, where I felt especially lonely, even though in some cases there were thousands of people around me, and I was in small groups and things like that. And some of it may have been my own perception, yes, but it felt real for me. I guess for one, today's contemporary church is very family programmed, and I understand the reasons why. But you can share all the same beliefs as everyone else, but walking into a modern church as a single person can feel very lonely because it at least feels like nobody understands you and often like they distrust you. Especially as you get to a certain age. And I know that I'm describing the feelings of some of you who are listening. Some of you will listen to a message like this online or on TV, but won't step foot in a church today 
because of what I just described. And I get it. But for me, it hasn't helped that I have a unique calling. I talk about God a lot. I think about God and the things of God a lot. And as an author and speaker, you better hope that I do. This isn't a hobby, it's my life. Well, some years ago, I heard about some church people who thought it's weird how Kyle talks about God so much. Now listen, I, I get this too. I understand that because of the way that I am wired in the call of God in my life, that I am not for everybody. But still, the misunderstanding from people that often comes with something like this can be very lonely. So let me say this to you, and this is probably obvious, but some of you need to hear this from someone who understands. The more unique that you are, and you know, we are all unique. Some of us, though, we look and sound and talk and walk a little more unique than others. And some of us have more unusual careers and paths and plans than others, I know. The more unique that you are, the more loneliness is going to be an issue for you. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that you won't ever feel it. But I can tell you that the gospel message can help you not be paralyzed by it. It can help you take it and remake it into something that's very rewarding. I've heard people say, oh, Kyle, I'd love to have some of the wisdom that you have. And I say, no, you probably don't, because you don't want to have to get it from the places I've had to and still have to. The things I share in my messages and books often come from deep wells, some of them deep wells of loneliness. But because of the gospel, I can survive plunging into those wells at times and come back up with something that's life-giving not only for me, but for others. Still, I can honestly say that I sit before you today the least lonely that I've ever been, and not because I have more people around me, but because I have deeply accepted the gospel truth, and it'll help you too. Let me show you. I'll start with the most basic gospel truth that helps with loneliness. And this is going to sound cliche, I know, but it's foundational, and I'm going to make more of this than what it sounds, so hang with me here. Here it is. God is in you, and he is your friend. I know some of you want to barf at the sound of that, and not because we're minimizing that God is with us and what a friend we have in Jesus, but because this is about all we've heard from many of the sermons and devotions relating to loneliness over the years. It's like people hear that you're lonely and their pat answers to pat you on the back. Send you on your way. All you need is Jesus. He's your friend. And yes, he is your friend. He has nothing but friendly thoughts toward you. Jesus himself said, I don't call you slaves. I call you friends. He said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And God didn't just choose you to use you like some of the relationships you've had in the past. He chose you to live with you and live in you. That's pretty intimate. You better be a friend for that. I'll be upfront with you. There were seasons in my life where it really felt like it was just Jesus and me. 
And I'm not saying that I didn't shed a tear or two in those seasons, but I can say that they were seasons. And in hindsight, somehow or another, God was enough. He was my source. I made it through. But here's the thing that knowing that God is with me really helped with when it came to loneliness. It's not that I literally felt his presence with me as if it was like a person in the room with me. Because I didn't. But it's that I knew someone was with me that understood me somehow. Look at Hebrews 4.15. The author says this high priest of ours, speaking of Jesus, understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. One of the core tenets of Christianity is that Jesus was fully God, yet fully man. Amazingly, in his fleshly state, he was able to face every weakness and temptation of the human condition and not sin. Now, this is not about some model for us to follow. It's not saying, see, since Jesus didn't sin in his flesh, so we should try real hard not to sin in our flesh either. No, Jesus was empowered not to sin so that he would fulfill the standard of the law for us because he knew we couldn't, he knew we can't. What this verse goes on to say is that somehow, someway, Jesus knows what it's like to be you and to deal with the things you deal with. We know that he knows what it's like to be hated, to have his words twisted, to be thought too spiritual or not spiritual enough. He knows what it's like to have some kind of calling that others don't understand or are jealous of. He knows what it's like to be hungry and on and on and on. He knows what it's like to be you. Whatever your weakness, whatever your uniqueness, if nobody else gets you, please take comfort in the fact that Jesus gets you, he understands you, and he doesn't doubt you because of it, and he doesn't distrust you because of it. I'd say you and Jesus can bond all the more over your shared experience. But like I said, as awesome as it is that we have God with us as a friend, just you and God for life isn't the best he has for you. If that's the case, Adam would have been content without another human being. God designed us spiritually, emotionally, and physically for relationship with other people. And I believe that's why we feel the intense feelings that we do when we don't have those relationships. Even if we know God as our ever-present friend, we feel we need relationship with people because we're designed for it. Before we move on to the next point, let me say this again. Loneliness isn't a lack of people. It's a lack of connection. Yeah, you must at least have somebody to connect with. So people are involved, sure. But we'll get to how the gospel helps you pursue those people and those relationships in a few minutes. Foundationally, though, most people, even so-called popular people, feel misunderstood and therefore lonely because they are afraid to present their true selves. 
And again, I'm speaking from personal experience here, especially in my mid to late 20s, even early 30s. Even though I was in leadership in ministry, even though I was plugged in to churches and around plenty of people, I still felt lonely because I was trying to connect with people from behind a mask. I was afraid to let people know my true self and my true interest, mostly because I still had a lot of shame that went all the way back to my elementary days. And I'm talking about stuff that doesn't even really matter. Like my favorite singers and bands, how much of a geek I really am, or the kinds of foods I like or don't like, and there are a lot of them that I don't like. I'd show up to a Super Bowl party having to fake that I like to watch football, and surprise, surprise, it didn't work. So I feel lonely even at a party because I didn't feel understood, I didn't feel connected. This is where the gospel helps with loneliness above all, I think because it removes the shame that you can be okay with who you are and then present yourself to people as you are. As I said, with all my uniqueness, I know that I am not for everybody. And I guess I've always known that, but understanding the gospel has helped me be okay with that. My attitude these days is take me or leave me, but this is me. And I don't say that arrogantly, It's just that I know my weaknesses, I know my strengths, I know my flaws, I know my uniquenesses, and I've come to own it all. I'll show up to your Super Bowl party. I've been to Super Bowl parties for the last two or three years now. But I'm not going to pretend to like watching the game. And if you can't relate to me because of that, it's okay. I'll find the people who do, even if it's just one or two. And while the rest of you are yelling and screaming about a grown man running a pig's bladder down a cow pasture, I'll just be having a grand old time with my one or two people talking politics or theology or technology or something. And I'll be so satisfied doing so. So how did understanding the gospel help with this? Well, it assures me that I'm fully known and fully loved for starters. One of my favorite psalms, one of many people's favorite psalms, is Psalm 139, 14, where David praises that God formed him in his mother's womb and that he formed all of his complexities too. David said, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, is the way he put it. To the prophet Jeremiah, God said, I knew you before I formed you. Ephesians 1, 4, the apostle Paul said that God loved and chose us even before the world began. So what this means is what I always say, is that you are no surprise to God. He loves you as you are. He designed you as you are for a reason. So he's definitely not asking you to hide your design or deny your design. Doing that is what leads to loneliness. Embracing your design is what leads to genuine connection with the people that he made to appreciate your design. Not all people. Like I said, it could just be one or two. But there are people. Now, I know some of you are asking, but aren't there some things about us? Or maybe you're saying, but aren't there some things about other people that he didn't design? And sure, we all have things that aren't all God-given, but maybe are world-given or wound-given. Again, none of those are a surprise to God either. 
And God isn't holding those things against you because his plan for you already accounted for the complexities and complications of you. That's because his plan for you included Jesus, who was ready and waiting all along to turn wrong things right and make all things new. Now, I know a lot of this is repetitive from the previous messages in this series, but it's also repetitive in the New Testament. And I'd say for a reason, our flesh and minds tend to forget grace. That's why the Bible says that the mind must be continuously renewed. It must be reminded of grace. I think that's why Paul stressed the same point like five times in eight verses to the Romans. Look at Romans 322. I'm going to walk you through a few verses here. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Verse 24, God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. Verse 25, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. Verse 28, so we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. Verse 30, there's only one God and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. And I want you to notice that last line there, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. That was kind of the broadest way to describe the entire spectrum of people back then. And that group were male and female, blondes, brunettes, redheads, whites and browns, single and married, prostitutes and eunuchs, introverts and extroverts, people who knew God and people who did horrible things to appease false gods. Every category of person is included in that spectrum between Jews or Gentiles. And Paul said over and over, that God has made them right, whoever they are, because of their faith in what Jesus did. And friend, you too lie somewhere in that spectrum of Jew to Gentile, which means that you too are right because of your faith in Jesus. This means that you can present yourself to people without shame and let the chips fall where they will. And again, please, Set your expectations appropriately. Just because God sees you as right doesn't mean people will. I wish I had better news for you. Some people might not like the way you walk or how you sound when you talk. I don't know. There are a lot of things they might not like. They might not like the way you think. They might not like the way you vote. They might not like a lot of things. They might think there are areas in your life that need fixing. And they won't even want to eat with you because of it, much less be your friend. But truly, that's an issue with them, not you. You can't help that their mind still needs to be renewed. So don't go changing yourself so that they might be your friend. Because if you try, it's not going to last. And while you try, it's going to be the loneliest feeling ever because it's not going to be the real you. They're not connecting with the real you. 
So you stay true to you. And the people who appreciate you will find you or you'll find them. And friend, I promise you, it'll happen. Actually, God promises you that it will happen. Look at Psalm 68, 6. This is David again. And remember, we said earlier, you read through the Psalms and you'll find other places where he talks about being lonely. Well, David says, God places the lonely in families. That word families there also means houses and dwelling places. What David is saying here is God puts you around people who support you. Doesn't have to be biological. Can be, doesn't have to be. Could be a family of friends. Well, the greatest way that God did that after Jesus is with the establishment of the church. God made the church to be a family, not a club, certainly not a club of perfect people. Some people say it's more like a hospital, a hospital of hurting people. And let me tell you, some people are not responding to treatment, but that's okay. In a family, we know each other's weaknesses, we know each other's diseases and symptoms and all the yucky stuff, and we chip in to make up for them. Paul described the church as a body with various gifts and different functions. In Romans 3.15, he said that we should be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. That's what the church does. We celebrate with people, we mourn with people. We're with people. And you can read throughout the New Testament, you'll especially see it in the book of Acts. The church was made for the people to share things with each other. They shared meals and homes and finances. All things they shared in common, it says. And in those days, living under the threat of persecution and many of them being kicked out of their own families because they followed Jesus, the church was a means of survival. It was a family for survival. Not just teaching and exhortation, although those are huge too. Now today, I know that things are very different. Obviously, the church has grown a lot and there are different groups, denominations, all sorts. And we live in a very individualistic society, at least here in America, that doesn't really share things with each other. We value personal space. We certainly value personal property. But in all of that, there's someone for you. They might not be where you are now. They might be at a different church. They might not go to church at all, yet they're still a believer. Surprise, surprise. And sure, there might be some effort that you have to put in to find them. But it won't be changing who you are. It won't be hiding behind a mask. It won't be pretending through anything. It won't be compromising your interests and passions. This is the healing thing about the gospel. It assures that you are forgiven. You are right. And you are whole. All because of Jesus. All despite your flesh and your psyche and anything else about your physical or emotional or whatever you. It's all about Jesus. 
So as you go about pursuing relationships, you can do it without fear of rejection. Yes, you might get rejected in the process. I'm not going to say that you're immune to that. But because you know you're okay, you can move on from rejection to rejection as you find that diamond in the rough that appreciates you as you are. And in the process, remember, you have Christ and he has you. You belong to Jesus. And while it might sound cliche to say it's truer than true, he will get you through from glory to glory, from grace to grace. Okay, I mentioned rejection. Seems like that goes hand in hand with loneliness. Most people who are lonely have faced much rejection. And because of it, many fear rejection, which only perpetuates loneliness. I've been there. But I can honestly say I'm not still there today, even though I still get plenty of rejection. After hearing my story, people often ask me how I got here. How did I get healed from passive rejection so that it no longer holds me back today? Well, what I shared in this message is foundational. But there's more. And I created an interactive e-course to take you through everything I learned to stop the fear and heal the hurt of rejection. Here's 30 seconds about the e-course, then I'll be right back. Let me ask you, how would your life change if memories of past rejection no longer hurt? What could you do if you weren't afraid of being rejected in the future? Maybe you think it's not possible. I've dealt with this for so long, but I'm here to tell you it is. If you've read any of my books or heard me speak, you know that the pain and fear of rejection ruled my life for so long, but I found real healing and freedom, and you can too. That's why I created my e-course, Rejecting Rejection. In it, I hold your hand to explore the scientific, psychological, and spiritual roots of your fear of rejection. I show you methods to reprogram your brain to be confident and courageous. We go through spiritual insights, reflections, and applications to heal your rejection-related wounds, and there's so much more. So what do you say? Are you ready to be unshackled from the fear of rejection? Then join me now. Visit rejectioncourse.com to get started. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil Show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. And don't forget wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. I'll see you next time.